Good morning, Covenant Network. Here we are on Monday, November 29th, first Monday of Advent of this new liturgical year. It's so good to be back with you. We can now officially say Happy New Year. We were getting ready for that last week, and now it's good to be able to say it. Happy, happy liturgical New Year to you, and it's good to be with you today. Let's pray as we do every day. Let's begin our morning in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I trust that you had a good Thanksgiving. I trust that you had a good weekend. It's my hope that you did. If you did not, please know that you were in our prayers over the weekend and in our prayers on Thursday. Uh, We had a wonderful celebration Thursday, not only Thanksgiving, but a birthday in the family. So we had breakfast together with one family and then dinner with the other. And, uh, you know, I I tried something new this year. I tried something new. And there's always that uh, confidence you need to have going into it, right? But you, you never know until the finished product is served. And it was roasted potatoes. You know, I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like I did some grand souffle or something like that. But I've never really been great at making roasted potatoes. But I think I had finally cracked the uh, recipe and, and how to really make them, you know, not just good, but great. That's, that's where I've been in between. I've been in between good and great. They've been good. I've never made them great. And I didn't make them great this time around either. But you know what? I learned some things. They were still very good. Don't get me wrong. Everyone enjoyed them. Um, but I learned some things about the confidence that you need to have to just make a decision and say, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we are going to commit. Of course, in prudence, you know, you have to do your research. You have to, to know what you're doing. You can't just throw it together and say, ah, that'll work because I, I have to believe in myself, right? That would be foolish. It's, it's the same way with our faith. I mean, there's so many things I have confidence in because I've learned or because I've studied or I've been told or I've been taught, not just because I say, ah, you know, what's the old joke? The two guys are walking in the woods and they find a bag of money and they say, oh, we should give some of this to the church. And so there's three guys, I suppose. And the one draws a circle on the ground and says, we'll throw the, the money up into the air. Whatever lands in the circle, we'll give to the church. The rest we'll keep. And the other guy says, no, we'll throw the money up in the air. Whatever lands outside the circle, we'll give to the church. Whatever lands inside the circle, we get to keep. And third guy jokes around, ah, we'll throw the money up into the air, uh, whatever God wants he can catch, right? That's not the way to go through life. That's not how we should do it. And so our confidence comes from being prepared. Our confidence comes from having some idea of what to expect and why. You know, even, and I always come back to that passage, I want to say it's Ephesians. I Now that I want to say it, I'm, you know, I've gonna, I'm going to have to look it up, but that uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that remain unseen. And, uh, you know, you don't have to have the full picture. You don't have to have that to move forward in confidence, but you do move forward in confidence. But it doesn't mean we do it blindly, you know. I think back to a retreat I was on where they gave us Bibles, and they said, we want to caution you. 
you know, I was a teenager, and they said, we want to caution you. Don't ever just, like, thumb through the Bible, flip through the pages, and then stop and point to something and say, this is obviously what God wants me to hear today, and this is how I should live my life today. Because if that's how you do it, you're going to be in trouble, right? And as they were telling us that, what what was happening on the retreat? Well, one of the kids was going through the the Bible, and he was doing that exact same thing. And he, he comes to this passage, and I think the verse was something something to the effect of, "This day, uh, I will take your life from you." You know, God speaking. It was Old Testament for sure. And he laughed and he chuckled and he goes, "Well, I'm glad you advise against doing that because I don't want that to be the message." for me today and uh so that that is how it went um you know lots of other great things this weekend we went to mass uh really kind of threw us off we went to mass on saturday evening because we wanted to go for the blessing of the advent wreath which was quite lovely and the kids had all sorts of great questions well what does this mean and why do we have the advent wreath and uh so on and so forth um, and, and, and it was just wonderful. But then Sunday morning came around and I woke up and I, I said, I feel like we should go back to Mass this morning because it just feels so weird not going to Mass on Sunday morning. And, uh, it, you know, it, it, have you ever experienced that where you're just like, this is not right. We've, we've broken from the routine. We've broken from the discipline. It's hard. It's difficult. And it is. I love my structures. I love my routines. I find them to be so helpful in prayer. There was a lot last week that, uh, you know, in those couple days off for Thanksgiving and in the weekend, that I was just out of my routine and it was throwing me off left and right. And I just am not a fan of that to the point that, you know, I turned my alarm off for Thursday morning and I turned my alarm off for Friday morning. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I ought to turn these back on, right? You know, maybe I ought to turn the or just leave them on. No, no, I'll turn them on Sunday before I go to bed, and uh, that will be well. False. That was that was not well. Um, I, I, I went to turn my alarm on yesterday. I thought I did all the steps except actually turning the alarm on. I set the time and every, the, the tone, all of those things that you can set, but I did not actually get the alarm turned on. So I woke up at 5 this morning, and I thought, oh, I've got a few more minutes before the alarm goes off. I'll just peacefully lay here. And then the next thing I know, I look at the clock, and it was after 6. And we had a bit of a panic attack. Uh, You know, whoa, what happened to the alarm? Why didn't it go off? I'm late, I'm late, I'm late, and run out the door. Um, Is that importance of preparation? And that's, you know, for me, that's really what this season is about, right? This is a season of preparation that we are in now. It's a season of saying to ourselves, we have to get ready because something spectacular is going to happen and and we don't want to miss it. We don't want to sleep through it. Now, you know, it's not that our Lord is going to come again on December 25th, although I don't know that for sure. We know he is going to come again. Um, I have no special knowledge that would indicate it would be December 25th. You know, the celebration of Christmas is not the celebration of him coming this year. It's the celebration of him becoming incarnate some 2,000 years ago, right? But we still get ready for that. Here's one of the important things. It reminds us to look for how he is coming to us in our lives. Um, You know, a, a priest I used to work with 
was very clear to remind us that in the season of Advent, we look for the coming of our Lord in history, and we look for the coming of our Lord in mystery, and in particular in the mystery of the Eucharist. And so um, as we venture into this season together, that's my hope, is that we don't sleep through anything. We don't miss anything because we didn't get ready properly. So just as some would say he's making a list and checking it twice, we need to be making our list for how are we preparing for the coming of our king in our hearts and checking that uh, more than twice, if I do say so myself. Now, uh, I believe we're going to get a check of the weather here this morning, so let's go to that. And then when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Advent today and uh, some of the things you might see this season. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We'll be back after this. Our transition into December is going to be very pleasant and warm. Temperatures will begin the week around 10 degrees warmer than normal. And by Thursday and Friday, it'll be about 20 degrees warmer than the norm. Today, partly sunny with a high of 60, clear 35 to 38. Tonight, partly sunny and 55 for the high on Tuesday. Wednesday, partly sunny and 60. Thursday and Friday, mostly sunny, highs near 70. And then Saturday and Sunday, well, We'll get a little bit cooler, partly sunny with a high of 50 on Saturday. Then Sunday, showers are possible with a high of 48. Today is the feast day of St. Saturninus. Born in Greece around the beginning of the 3rd century, Saturninus grew up to be a priest and a missionary. In 245, Pope Fabian sent him to Gaul to help St. Trophimus develop the church in the region, and in just five years, they had enough followers to establish a diocese in Toulouse, where Saturninus was the first bishop. To get to their new church, the converts had to pass before several altars dedicated to pagan gods. As the numbers of Christians increased, pagan priests grew increasingly hostile to those passing by their pagan altars without paying anything, saying that the oracles had been silenced by the presence of the new Christians. In 257, the pagan priest had Saturninus arrested and tried to get him to deny his faith by worshiping their gods, but he repeatedly refused, saying, I adore one God only, and to him I am ready to offer a sacrifice of praise. Your gods are devils and are more delighted in the sacrifice of your souls than those of your bulls. How can I fear them who, as you acknowledge, tremble before one single Christian? Seeing they could not force Saturninus to recant, they tied him to a wild bull, which dragged him through the town until the rope broke, by which time he had long been dead. Two Christian women buried his remains in a deep ditch over which a small chapel was built in the 4th century, and then in the 14th century, a larger church was built and named Our Lady of the Bull. St. Saturninus, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven on this Monday morning, November 29th. You know, it's inevitable that when we get all of the cousins together, whether it's for a holiday celebration or a birthday celebration, both of which we, we had this past week, as I mentioned earlier, that a game of hide-and-seek will break out. And, of course, in old houses, there are lots of great hiding spaces, and the kids really enjoy those. And it, it got me thinking about uh, the times that – we play hide and seek, and you know we're really on a mission. 
it's not just to tag someone. Some people play you. As soon as you tag someone, then then it's over and everybody comes out and we start over counting to 10 again. But the way our kids play, you, you don't stop until everyone is found. And once you're found, you, you go from being a hider to a seeker. And um, they really get into it. One of the things I was able to take advantage of while taking a little bit of time off uh, with the Thanksgiving holiday was the fact that I went to the eye doctor. And it's always good to go. I go uh, twice a year, once for my annual, I guess you call it a well visit and an eye check. And then every six months I go back to do another checkup on my contacts. How are they working out for you? Because I like to see clearly. And I said, you know, it's been great, and, and the, I love my contact lenses, but I just feel like there are some things I can't see clearly, and I don't know if I'm trying to read things that are too small for me or what. And they said, no, let's, let's look into this. And they made a tweak to the prescription, and now I feel like I'm seeing things in a whole new way. Sometimes we can make a little tweak to the way we live our lives, and it helps us to see things in a whole new way. And so one of the practices that I like to get into is uh, to really not just stop myself with uh, the homily I might hear at Mass on Sunday, or in this case, Saturday evening, but also to just take another look maybe a day or two later at something uh, perhaps from another priest or another book or something to help me really get a new look and, and see in a new way what I have been praying about all weekend. So we want to do that for you right now. Uh, we we turn to this homily for a little help getting us ready this Monday of Advent. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Our gospel from St. Luke seemingly continues themes that we were privileged to hear, reminding us and exhorting us to read the signs of the times, also warning us to be prepared for the world in which we find ourselves and the difficulties that assail us, especially the anxieties with which we might be plagued. But the difference is this first Sunday of our Advent journey, that the Lord then asks us to turn our attention more specifically to a preparation of ourselves, not just looking to the future to be prepared on that moment when the Lord himself will come, when the Son of Man will come, when the Son of Man will ask us to make an account of ourselves. What the Lord enjoins us is that that process begins today. This moment now is the acceptable day, the acceptable hour, the acceptable time for you to be in a posture, in, in a disposition of transforming yourself, moving away from sin and moving closer to the Lord. There are a great many themes that make up the beauty of our Advent journey. This is a season of hopeful anticipation as we not only prepare ourselves for the coming of our Lord at the end time, but have an extended period of contemplation for when he entered into history once for all and transformed it, taking flesh in the womb of Our Lady and then being born of the Virgin Mary. The church rejoices and gives thanks for what God has done, for what God is doing, and for what God will be. And during Advent, we contemplate all of those realities, past, present, and future. But in this first Sunday of the Advent journey, the particular focus is on where you are now, what it is that needs to change in your life in order that the Lord, as He comes to you, you might be better able to receive Him, 
There is an immediacy precisely because in a few moments you will come forward and kneel down and receive the living God. And the question that we must always ask ourselves is, am I indeed adequately prepared? Am I worthy to receive the God who is choosing to make his dwelling in me? That is not a rhetorical question. It must be asked and answered by the manner in which you live your life. This is why St. Paul gives us the exhortation to put aside deeds of darkness and to live as men and women in the light. And we put aside deeds of darkness by embracing the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. How frequently and often do you take advantage of the tribunal of mercy? How often do you approach the Lord and ask for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you indeed aware of the sins for which you are guilty and you need to ask forgiveness? And again, this first week, second week of the Advent journey asks us to look pointedly and deliberately and intentionally at who we are and where we are and what it is that needs to be changed in our lives. Because we are indeed men and women of a fervent and constant hope, when we do indeed look at ourselves, there's no fear, there's no doubt, there's no worry, there's no sense of condemnation. Instead, there is sorrow for our sins because they have hurt our beloved, but we are likewise aware of the mercy that he has upon each of us. And we approach that throne of mercy, knowing the loving Father's care for each of us. In justice and mercy, coming together perfectly in his Son, and now we are allowed to approach both of them as well. We are rooting out sin, we are seeking to be in a posture of conversion in order that we might be prepared. Not only on that day sometime in the future when the Lord himself will return in glory, but that moment where he might require us to give an accounting of ourselves, whether it be this day, this moment, or week, months, decades to come. Whenever it is, we will indeed be prepared, not solely because of what we have done, but certainly because we have sought to cooperate with the grace of God in the transformation of our lives. My brothers and sisters, I cannot stress with you enough how practical and deliberate and intentional you may be and must be. If there is anything that plagues the church, and there are a great many things that do indeed plague the church, there is a degree of malaise and mediocrity that has set in. St. Paul enjoins Timothy, my brothers and sisters, never grow tired of doing good, and that sadly is what has happened to the church. We have grown tired of doing good. We have grown tired of seeking perfection, and as a result of that, we have become lethargic. A malaise has set over us, and so we live our Catholic life, and we do so with a certain half-heartedness and indifference, making all sorts of little compromises with the world in which we live. One compromise leading to another, leading to another, and before we know it, we have found ourselves more comfortable in the world than we have found ourselves more comfortable in Holy Mother Church. Not intentional, not deliberate, but precisely because we weren't being intentional and deliberate, we have found ourselves at this particular pass. But all of this can be transformed if we simply turn around back to God beg mercy and forgiveness for our sins and then enjoin him to bestow abundant graces upon us that we might be more fervent, more zealous in the practice and the living out of our faith. And as I have said to you repeatedly, it will be in this way that we first change and transform ourselves, but then we change and transform the world so that it cooperates with us and living rightly in the sight of God. This is what we are about 
in our Advent season. A great many things to accomplish, changing the world, changing the church. So focus solely on yourself. Focus on rooting out your sin. Focus on committing yourself more concretely to prayer or some other form of discipline in order to, again, in the act of mortification, more, uh, make yourself more pliable in the hands of God. Of course, those who accompany us in our Advent journey are our Blessed Mother, first and foremost, and John the Baptist as well. Pray your rosary. Be in relationship with Our Lady to assist you. Our King has chosen to come to us and to make His dwelling among us. This time of our Advent journey is to prepare ourselves for our King who will be with us soon through prayer, through a degree of fasting and sacrifice, through rooting out sin. Let us hasten to prepare ourselves to adore our King and our God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. We are back. You are listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. We're happy to be speaking by phone today with Father Jeffrey Kirby. And it's always good to talk to you, Father. Thanks for being with us today. Yes, thank you, Adam. Good to be on the show. Father, uh, when I go back to my memories of the many years I spent in parish music ministry, I remember that at almost every parish, at some point, Father would say, well, it's Advent. I suppose we should have the anointing of the sick at Mass, whether that's at a Sunday Mass or a Saturday morning Mass or a, a weekday evening Mass, whenever it may be. It, it seemed like every year at Advent time, that was what we would do. And I said, okay, what do you need me to do? He'd say, play these songs. I'd say, all right, I'll play those songs. It wasn't until last summer, and we, we talked about this last time you were on the air, I was going in to have oral surgery and I, I said to my pastor, I said, Father, I don't know if I should receive anointing of the sick or not, because, I mean, it's just, I'm having teeth extracted. Certainly that doesn't really endanger my life. However, my physicians always told me, given some of my blood pressure problems and whatnot, I, I'm not wild about you going under general anesthesia, which was going to happen in this case. And that's when my pastor said, well, with that, let's anoint you. Uh, what is anointing of the sick? This is probably where we should start for any listeners that aren't familiar with this sacrament. So, Adam, that's a, actually a great question. In fact, sometimes what I like to do is just start with kind of the, the name itself and, and you know, kind of emphasize to the faithful that you know, it's called anointing of the sick. You know, helping people understand and, and, and emphasize it's not anointing of the dying. <laughs> you, know, that, you know, so there are older Catholics who might still associate it with you know, the extreme unction. Uh, where one is dying and they receive the sacrament, but but no, like this is a continuation of, of Christ's healing presence in the midst of the Church, that those who are sick should receive the sacrament. So the sacrament itself is one of the seven sacraments given to us by the Lord. It, it is one of the two healing sacraments. Uh, it has a great power to both heal the soul, to vanish fear and, and restore hope, and also the power to restore even physical health. So it's a powerful sacrament, and one that's given to us so that when we are suffering or in serious illness, older age, that we can turn to the Lord and know that He's with us. Father, you mentioned a couple of really important things here. Number one, anointing of the sick. So that's a great clarification. You don't necessarily have to be dying, although if you're dying, you probably are sick in some way or not in, in good health. 
So that's number one. Number two, one of the things you said that I want to get into a little bit here is this idea that it may bring about physical healing, but you did not say it will bring about physical healing. And I think that's one of the intentions we have to think about from time to time. When we are sick and we receive this anointing, are we supposed to go into it with this superstitious idea that if, if, if Father says these prayers and anoints my hands with this oil, that, you know, miracle cure, I will be better, I will not suffer from this ailment again? Or is it actually doing something else for us and for our souls? Yes, very much so. I, I'm glad I haven't emphasized that you know, we have to be careful when we approach the sacraments that, you know, this, you know, this isn't just, you know, uh, superstition, this isn't, you know, we... You know, we just say these things, and then suddenly there's some type of power that's given to us, as if there's some type of quid pro quo that you know, God is obliged to, to do what we want. Uh, you know, the sacraments are our encounter with Christ, first and foremost. Each of the seven sacraments is a way for us to be with Christ in different situations or occasions. So the only thing of the sick is, is when we are sick, that the Lord comes to us, that it's His will that He grants physical healing. Then, thanks be to God. But while that can be one of the benefits of the sacrament, the sacrament ultimately is to prepare our souls, to strengthen our souls in order to fight whatever illness or suffering we might have. And in particular, in terms of the spiritual work, to cast out fear. When we're sick, or especially if we're seriously sick, oftentimes fear can overwhelm us. And, And so that sacrament just frees us from that fear, grants us that peace in Christ, gives us hope, and knows that the Lord is with us. And if a physical healing is a part of that, then thanks be to God. But again, if the Lord doesn't grant the physical healing, it's not like, well, who cares about the other stuff? It's like, no, that's, that other stuff is actually more important than the physical healing. Well, Father, this this harkens back to what we talked about last time you were on the show. We were talking about the manual for suffering, and that's part of what this sacrament is for us, is to help bring some meaning to our suffering that it wouldn't be in vain. I mean, I could be facing a serious health complication, and, you know, I actually have a friend who's my age. God love her. She recently received a diagnosis that she has cancer. She had surgery. She's undergoing chemotherapy. And it's it's not a pleasant experience for her or her family, I would imagine. And it would be a terrible thing if all of that suffering was in vain. And again, not saying that receive the sacrament, you'll be healed, but that your soul would receive some benefit through your suffering and through your illness. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting that each of the seven sacraments share in some form in the Paschal Mystery. So the Passion, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. So every sacrament you know, touches that mystery and brings it to into our lives in, in a unique way. And so in terms of, of the Lord's victory over sin and death, that when we find ourselves sick and, and possibly dying, that we can receive that further grace in the Paschal Mystery and know that our suffering does have value. It can be redemptive, that we are united with Christ. We have not been abandoned. This isn't some type of harsh punishment or God getting us for things that we may have done in the past or so on. But, this, you know, this anointing reminds us that, no, this, this suffering is a part of our, our fallenness. We're all going to suffer. And we can unite it with Christ and allow it to bring, you know, a lot of good and a lot of purpose and meaning to be brought forth from it. And the sacrament of the anointing of sick is, is a gift given to us. Like, I, I'm really sometimes dismayed, Adam, when I see some of the parishes and they might, might offer the sacrament once or twice a year. And I think the practice of the Church has not caught up with the renewed theology. I mean, first of all, if we go to the Council of Trent, Trent emphasizes how important it is that the faithful who are sick receive the sacrament. 
And, and yet, it became this thing that was solely for the dying. Vatican II retrieved the richness of our teaching, and yet still in many parishes, the practice seems to still kind of fuel the idea of, well, this is what you do if things get really serious or if you're about to die, rather than this sacrament being a regular part of our discipleship. I'm going for surgery under general anesthesia, I get the anointing. I have a severe illness, I get the anointing. I'm going for treatment for some type of, of condition, I get the anointing. Women who are pregnant, I get the anointing. Mother Church even says over the age of 65, someone can receive the anointing, the general sufferings, uh, ills, and, you know, difficulties of age. So, in light of all this, like, the anointing should be a regular part of the parish's spiritual life. Father, I think one of the things that has happened, at least in my experience, is that there hasn't been this public celebration of the anointing, but I know many priests who are, uh, you know, as you said, saying we don't need to wait until you're dying to anoint you. If, if this is happening, you should receive the anointing, but it becomes a very private affair. And in some cases, I completely understand. Someone might not want to disclose to the world that they are suffering from a medical problem or other ailment, and they want to keep their privacy. But, you know, I'm of the opinion for myself anyway that uh, the more people I can have praying for me, <laughs> the better, right? So let's, you know, if, if you want to anoint me in front of the whole congregation— you know, that's fine with me, and if you don't want to, you know, Father, you just tell me what to do and where to be. Now, on the flip side of that, though, I also remember a time in my life where I was like, oh, there's a line, I probably ought to, I should get in that line, and we don't want to do things blindly, just as we wouldn't admonish someone, or just as we wouldn't say to someone who is not Catholic, oh, yeah, we're, we're all going to communion now, just jump in the line, it's okay, you can go up too and receive Holy Communion. We would never say that. You have to be properly disposed to receive Holy Communion, and that's a whole other topic for a whole other show, what that means. Um, We wouldn't just say, everybody and anybody, come on down. You know, my my 12-year-old, 15-year-old, 20-year-old kid who's in perfect health probably does not need to get in that line and come down and receive the anointing of the sick. So I wonder if you could share with us some of the specifics. What are the questions that maybe we should be asking ourselves when it comes down to, should I ask Father if I can be anointed. Yes, yes. So, and first, I, I appreciate that clarification, too, Adam, that, you know, while the sacrament should be more generously made available to the faithful, I would argue, uh, we also have to remind the faithful that there are conditions. This, this isn't, as you indicate, everyone come up, you know, that you know, there are conditions. And, and, and principally, like, you know, just to, to kind of repeat that the standard ones that I oftentimes get pastorally is, you know, surgery with general anesthesia, even if it's minor surgery, outpatient surgery, if you're going under general anesthesia, you can receive the anointing of the sick. And then, of course, serious illness, which is, is the one that oftentimes we focus on. When a person is dying, yes, of course, they can certainly receive the anointing. Hopefully, they've already been receiving it through their illness. And then, of course, as, as they're dying. Are pregnant women sometimes ask, can they receive it? Yes, the Church says pregnant women can receive the anointing. And then, of course, over the age of 65. So, here at my parish, I offer a monthly healing Mass on the first Saturday in honor of the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady, and I offer that anointing. And I have an older demographic within my parish. There are older people within the full demographic of my parish who very much enjoy coming on the first Saturday, and they, many of them have now kind of made it their monthly thing. They come for Mass, they receive the anointing, they go out for breakfast in their small groups and stuff. So it becomes just a regular part of their Christian discipleship as people who are over the age of 65. So I just think that, you know, those conditions the Church gives us, of course, there are more specifics that, that we can get into, but 
But those are the general ones that oftentimes I've been asked uh, pastorally. My, my big thing, and the, the part that I want to just emphasize in, in, in terms of trying to retrieve aspects of our Christian way of life or our Catholic way of life is, is to bring back this sacrament of healing. This is a powerful sacrament given to us because when we're suffering or when we're getting ready for surgery or you know, things are happening in our lives, there's just so much fear and anxiety and concern, and the Lord wants to be with us. The Church describes the anointing of the sick as the continuation of the healing ministry of Jesus. I just find that incredibly remarkable and, and touching and moving. I myself at different times have had to receive the anointing of the sick, uh, mainly because of surgeries with anesthesia. But I've always found the sacrament to be very consoling and uplifting. Father, you just mentioned that the Lord wants us to be with him. The, the, the Lord wants us to be with him. And I think that's another important thing, because I, I know people, and sometimes this has been me, maybe not with this particular sacrament, but in, in other circumstances, where the Lord is offering, through the ministry of the Church, what, whatever it may be. And, and for the purposes of this discussion, we'll say anointing of the sick. And I would say, well, you know, other people, Father, they have it worse off than me. So yeah, I'm going to let them go. I'm going to hold back. And that's not really a great attitude for us to have anyway, because it's not like the Lord's going to run out of mercy. It's going to right. run out of grace or the ability to heal as if there's a limited stock and we need to, we need to triage this. Um, you know, that said, if I've got the flu and someone has just been hit by a bus and Father has to make a choice on who to anoint first, by all means, Father, anoint the, the gentleman hit by the bus, and then I'll be around with the flu a couple minutes later. We're, we're not worried about that. But we shouldn't be overly scrupulous in saying, well, I don't know. I probably don't need to go because, uh, you know, there's plenty of people that have it worse off. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying, Adam. And yeah, I pray for the day when the fullness of our Christian discipleship is restored, when people begin to understand the beauty of Mass and, and, and are regular in their Sunday observance, regular with the Holy Days, who come to Mass when even they have a day off or they can get off of work a little early, who come back to the regular celebration of confession, even monthly, and the regular understanding of the anointing of the sick. I mean, confession and the anointing are called the sacraments of healing. You know, the Lord wants to be with us. And, and as you indicate, like, He's not going to run out of grace. And, you know, and, and this isn't, you know, I tell people, I'm not offering you a Hallmark card or fairy dust. You know, this is an, a sacrament of the ever-living, all-powerful God who wants to give you His grace, of His life within you, right? to realize what this is and the power. I sometimes joke, I'm in my mid-40s, I tell people, I can't wait to get to my mid-60s so I can start receiving this sacrament because I'm starting to feel the effects of aging right now, <laughs> you know? And, and to, to know that the Church offers a sacrament to help, to receive the grace from God to help in the midst of those aches and pains, like, I just find that incredibly uplifting and, and consoling, and I don't understand why so many Christians don't avail themselves of this powerful sacrament. Father, we have time for one last question, and I had I had one, but you just brought up something that I think is so very important to mention while we are talking about this that I'm letting go of the first question. I've already forgotten it. You mentioned that there are two <laughs> sacraments of healing, anointing of the sick and confession, and I want to be very clear about this for our listeners. You know, if you are getting in line for anointing of the sick— but you are not going to confession on a regular basis. Or say you're being anointed because you know you're going to receive some medical procedure, and like like we said, general anesthesia, that there's a high risk factor that you could you could die on the table, and it 
doesn't cross your mind, do I need to go to confession too? You know, Father, could you hear my confession with when we do the anointing of the sick? Uh, what would yes. you say to that person, Father Kirby? Yes, I'm, I'm glad you brought that scenario. Um, if confession is available, then the person is to avail themselves of that sacrament first. And in fact, I mentioned the healing mass I have, and before that, I offer extensive confession time. So the people can come, the faithful can receive you know, confession, go to confession, and then receive the anointing. The only time that the Church envisions the anointing is received without confession is usually in dire emergency, where you know, the person is unable to go to confession. In which case, and, and just to show you the, the, the benevolence and the kindness and the love God has for us, if we can't go to confession, and we have sin, even grave sin, and we receive the anointing of the sick, and we could not go to confession, there's an emergency or something, then the anointing of the sick takes away all sin, even great sin. So it has that power, but to have the opportunity to go to confession, not go to confession and to receive the anointing, um, that is, that is a, a, a disrespect to the sacrament. It's not understanding you know, how confession and anointing of the sick are to, to be together, and, and it's approaching the anointing of the sick not properly prepared or disposed for, the, for that sacrament. When we think of our plans for life, friends, you know, there are good plans, and there are plans that I, I would say, I, I don't know if I would plan on that being the way it's going to go down. You know, if your plan is, hey, if something emergent happens to me, there'll be a priest right there. I'll be good. I'll be taken care of. It could happen. I'm not saying it wouldn't happen, but I don't know that I would call that a, a good plan. So make that plan now. You know, even if you're not sick, Receive the sacrament of spiritual healing, the healing for your sins. Make that plan, especially if you are in a state of mortal sin. Get to the sacrament of reconciliation as soon as is reasonably possible. You know, that, that's number one. Number two, if, if you're in doubt, well, you know, you've heard Father Kirby explain the anointing of the sick here on our show. If you still have questions, should I, should I not receive it? It's as simple as writing your pastor either a little note or an email or calling the rectory and saying, Father, here's my situation. Wondering if I can receive anointing of the sick, he's going to come back with a yes or a no, and I would imagine in most cases it's going to be a yes, and then he'll tell you how to make the arrangements so that you can receive the sacrament. Don't be afraid of it. Don't let pride hold you back. Uh, Father Kirby, I want to thank you for being with us to bring some clarity to this, as many of our parishes will have an anointing mass during the season of Advent. I wonder, could I ask you to close our time together with a prayer? Absolutely. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you pour your Spirit upon us. May you grant your peace to your people. May you shine your face upon them. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We will be back right after this. Our transition into December is going to be very pleasant and warm. Temperatures will begin the week around 10 degrees warmer than normal. And by Thursday and Friday, it'll be about 20 degrees warmer than the norm. Today, partly sunny with a high of 60, clear 35 to 38. Tonight, partly sunny and 55 for the high on Tuesday. Wednesday, partly sunny and 60. Thursday and Friday, mostly sunny, highs near 70. And then Saturday and Sunday, well, will get a little bit cooler, partly sunny with a high of 50 on Saturday. Then Sunday, showers are possible with a high of 48. Well, here we are in a new week for our daily dose of encouragement. We're happy to have Patty Schneier with us. And Patty, I think back to when we first started recording these, I was getting ready to go have my wisdom teeth removed, and we were talking off air about the power, the redemptive power of suffering 
And it's going to come full circle now because that's the message you're here to share with us this week. Yes, we're going to talk about redemptive suffering this week. And I know people might say, what? We're going to talk about redemptive suffering all week? Yeah, it's important for us to talk about that and and what we can do with it because we're all going to suffer at some point. But today we're going to just talk about why we suffer, why we suffer. And of course, we're aware of so many people in our lives, especially at this time of the year, who are suffering. And we can suffer from a number of things. It can be sickness, death, sin. It can be natural disasters, loneliness, rejection, disappointment, chaos in the world. I mean, there are so many ways that we've experienced suffering. But in a word, it comes down to evil. There is evil in the world, and we suffer because of it. And I want to just share with you a beautiful quote from Cardinal Sarah. I've been reading his book about the power of silence. And in this book, he talks about evil, and he says this. So maybe this will help you today. He says, Evil raises an immense question, an enigma that is impossible to resolve. No one in any era in human history has succeeded in giving a satisfying response to the problem of evil. When we wonder about it, we actually do not know what we are asking, for we seek to comprehend something that is incomprehensible. Evil is the irrational par excellence. And our reflection on evil and suffering can only be modest and leaves much to be desired. A friend of mine put it this way. Stop trying to make sense out of sin. We were never meant for sin. We were never meant for death. It's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. So if you doubt or struggle with the question of evil and suffering, welcome to the human race. Don't beat yourself up, but stay tuned for hope as we unpack this topic this week. I promise you, we're going to talk about hope this week as we talk more about redemptive suffering. For right now, though, we got to remember, don't beat ourselves up. We all struggle. We all have doubts. We all question God. Why don't you intervene? Why don't you step up? But it's impossible for us to reckon with it fully because it's a mystery and we were never, ever, ever meant for sin. We can't make sense out of it. I don't know about you, friends, but I am ready to go through this week's encouragements. Redemptive suffering, it's a necessary thing for us to ponder and to inspire us as we seek to live our life this week. Patty Schneier, I want to thank you for today's encouragement.